the theme of your talk is Gladstone and Parliament, and in one sense at least, there is no greater parliamentarian than Gladstone throughout the course of his very long career, the positions of state that he occupied. Mm. What are you going to focus on? I'm going to focus on Gladstone inside the Westminster bubble. You know, what sort of party animal was he? He had a reputation for being not clubbable. So how was he able to maintain party discipline in the very febrile world of 19th century Westminster politics? The second theme is the oratory, which is really the key to his reputation as a great parliamentarian. And the irony there is that, of course, he becomes best known as an orator outside of Parliament. And the interesting thing is how the outdoors oratory then begins to inform and influence his behaviour inside Parliament. Do you think it's true that he was a man perhaps better respected than loved? One remembers that famous phrase of Victoria is that he always speaks to him as if he was addressing a public meeting. There's something a little bit Olympian, a bit aloof, a bit severe about Gladstone. Yes, it's always said of Gladstone, he says a great deal but nothing very memorable, and that he can turn anything, even a weak argument, into a strong case. So he's the master of that kind of detailed argument and forensic building up of all the facts, which, of course, he hones into a great art with the budget speeches of the 1850s and the, and the 1860s. He holds the record, I think, that the longest budget speech, I think, of five hours, or it's, if not the record, then it must be a contender for it. Was he a great Chancellor of the Exchequer? Yes. It's said of him that he made the budget speech a romance, which is a little hard to believe if you sit there for four hours, 45 minutes, I think the 1853 budget is. One way of thinking about that is that he's grinding down the opposition with the sheer verbosity and laboriousness of his exposition. But contemporary commentators said it was this mastery of detail, this ability to go through page after page of essentially accounts, statistics, projections that was very convincing. And this was, in the famous phrase, government by speaking. His career demonstrates some contradictions. So he started as a high Tory Mm. and ended up involved in the evolution of what became the Liberal Party. He opposed parliamentary reform at the time of the Great Reform Act, and yet he ended up passing legislation which enfranchised many more people, the working classes and the agricultural classes, for instance. Was there any consistent vision and set of values throughout his career? I think there is a consistency, and I think it is all about what he called the efficiency of Parliament. So he was for things like shorter parliaments. He was actually for payment of MPs and might have had words to say about the current problems over MPs taking different, different kinds of payment. I think the main thing he wanted was a set of procedures in the House of Commons, which might include parliamentary reforms, which allowed government to get on with its business. His famous phrase about it being a school of, of discipline was to uh, temper our our public servants and teach them generosity of spirit and morality and patience and and all those sorts of things. Say a little more about that that quote, because he made this in a speech in Parliament, didn't he? He talked about Parliament being a school of discipline and went on to say that it was a school of morals as well. So who was he addressing then? I think he's addressing his own Liberal Party. By the late 1870s, he gives the speech in 1878, the Liberal Party is increasingly becoming run by what we would nowadays call its rank and file, the National Liberal Federation, the caucus, the sense of pressure from without, dictating what MPs are doing within Parliament. And I think Gladstone is saying, hey, steady, you may want half the country wanting prohibition in terms of alcohol. 
You may want half the country wanting Sunday closing uh, the Sabbatarian pressure groups. But Parliament is a deliberative assembly. And once people are in Parliament, although they are MPs for this constituency and they represent that interest, they are representing the nation and they are, the, they are joining in the great council of deliberation of the nation. I think that's what he's getting at. You said you were interested in the way that Gladstone lived in the Westminster bubble. In, in what way was it a, a world that we might recognise now? I think he would understand the intensity of the parliamentary season. He was a very assiduous parliamentarian. He lived close by for virtually all of his parliamentary career when he was in London, up on, up on Piccadilly and, and then later down in the Mall. And he took his parliamentary responsibilities very, very seriously. It's very hard to think about Gladstone without thinking about his counterpart, Disraeli, the, the two who kind of pirouetted in power for much of the latter part of the 19th century, two radically different characters, Disraeli, mercurial, mm. an artist, you know, liked to present himself as being uh, a slightly rom romantic figure, I think, and, and Gladstone, who we now think as the sober, outstanding, rather severe figure. I think... Gladstone was probably more of a complex character than we like to think of in terms of that polarised stereotype, and Disraeli was probably a less, <laughs> a less colourful character in that sense. I think there is this golden moment between the Second Reform Act and Disraeli's death in 1881, where a new style of adversarial politics is created. What the voting public wanted was a two-party system, and their rhetoric was, was fashioned accordingly, and out of that you got this great Punch and Judy battle between these two great characters. What do you think, then, are the great achievements of Gladstone in that long lifetime and long career? One is the stamina. Gladstone's best ever biographer, the late, great Colin Matthew, once put it this way. He said, imagine an MP coming into Parliament under James Ramsay MacDonald in the early 1930s and still being there at the birth of New Labour in 1994 in a period in the 19th century when people didn't live as long lives, that was one of his most remarkable achievements. One of the other great achievements is the creation of the Victorian fiscal consensus, which came with the budgets, it came with the coming of free trade, it came with the lowering of the, the tax burden, but it came via Parliament. This was to tidy up the tax regime, to remove a lot of the unnecessary burdens on trade, and also, yeah. but ne nevertheless to produce a regular income for yeah. government. Yeah, and, and, but also let the wages of the working man, you know, fructify, as he put it, in the working man's pocket, where it properly belonged. Rather than going into the government coffers as income tax. Yeah, or maintaining an overburdened, bloated government or civil list or armed forces, as had been the great blight of the Hanoverian state. Let's not forget that in the early 1870s, under his government, income tax fell to a penny in the pound. That's half a p in, in real terms. And in that sense, Britain, the workshop of the world, the Pax Britannica, the empire spilling out into the sunset, was the perfect platform for his style of the night watchman state, a parliamentary politics which is about consensus and agreement. Do you like him? No. <laughs> Does that come over? <laughs> I think he made politics too impossible. He made it a, a great test of morality. That may have worked at particular moments in the 1850s and the 1860s, the strength of the nonconformist conscience, the sense in which if you wanted to bring the working classes into the parliamentary system, you needed to give them a bit of religious guidance. But I do think it created this huge burden for 20th century politicians. Parliamentary politics is not about morality. These are ordinary people who are exposed to all sorts of temptation and vice and challenges, and to pretend that they can be paragons of, of morality, which I think is what Gladstone thought they could 
be, I think is a terrible burden, and, and it's peculiar to Britain. You have been listening to a Parliament podcast. For more information about the work of Parliament, please visit www.parliament.uk.